This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey fans of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Marcy. And I'm Robin. And we are the, the Black, Black Case, Case Diaries. Diaries. The Black Case Diaries is a movie and TV podcast hosted by three friends, us, in the exotic land of Ohio. We cover any topic related to film or TV. Our goal is to learn as much as we can and teach others in the process. We have something for every movie or TV fan. Movie scores? Got it. Pokemon? Got that too. Disney movies? Of course we do. Avatar? (laughs) James Cameron or Nickelodeon? Nickelodeon. We're working on it. If this sounds like a show for you, find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Or at blackcasediaries.com. Go check out the Black Case Diaries today. Happy listening. Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, today joined by one of my very favorite people, podcaster, friend, UFO expert, Rob Christofferson. Rob, how's it going, man? You know, we're talking about UFOs in the afternoon, and I dig it. I really do, because we could just talk about UFOs all the time. I, I'm happy to be here. It's been a while. Uh, I haven't been back to this podcast since you traumatized Sam with some uh, really intense parachute pants, ghostly parachute pants, and I don't think he's recovered. No, he hasn't. In fact, every time. So it's funny when when Marie said, you know, well, we're you know, Marie's busy with work and everything. So it was like, oh, we need we need co-hosts. And I was like, oh, great. I got two great guys in mind. And I was like, Rob, you know, Rob. We'll, we'll, we'll coax Rob onto the show. And then Sam, it's like, I just need to promise him I won't traumatize him anymore. <laughs> but I don't even know if I can make that promise. You know what I mean? It's just such a challenge. It is a, an immense challenge. Not only not only because most things traumatize Sam, but I think Sam's really good at traumatizing himself. I, I also believe that as well. <laughs> I used to, you know, I used to joke that what I really liked about, um, what I really liked about Astonishing Legends was hearing Scott and Forrest essentially scare themselves to death. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they just egg each other on. And then finally Scott's like, Oh my God, Forrest, that's so scary. And Forrest's like, I know man, I'm scared too. <laughs> and just thinking of these two guys like under a blanket together, freaking each other out, you know, it's just such a good image in my mind. It, but it now, <laughs> but now when I, when I listen to uh when I listen to a not alone podcast, it's like, the same image times a thousand because I just see Sam there with his big beard like "Ah!" (laughs) and Jason like come on man please yeah Jason's got that you know incredulous look on his face he's just staring right at him and I (laughs) and I've seen I've seen what that look you know it resembles like it's it's a very angry look look and I don't think it (laughs) intends to be but that's the way it comes across oh my goodness oh boy all right, good stuff. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't firmly decide which is funnier: one person scaring himself or two people <laughs> scaring each other. But I really enjoy it. You know, it's just a great. It's a great thing to be involved with. It is. So, uh, so Rob, the reason I wanted to have you on here is because essentially, there's no one I'd rather be talking UFOs with, really. And a lot of crazy UFO stuff has happened over the last couple of weeks. Things have gone. I mean, things have gone batshit. I don't think there's any other way to say it. Things have gone 
nuclear. We are at nuclear level. We're talking factions going toe-to-toe with each other in the UFO community. They're angry. They're buttonheads. And you, you apparently can't be critical of To the Stars Academy. That's that's what I'm picking up. You can you can never you can never be angry at them at all. <laughs> no. So what's what's crazy, right? Okay, so for those that don't know, what has been happening essentially is a couple weeks ago, like April t- around end of April, beginning of May. The Navy came out and said, we are developing guidelines on how to report UFO sightings for our service members. Yep. Which is a change in their public stance, but ultimately not really a change in their actual stance. As far, mm. You know, I mean, we have we for for decades, we have had Navy service member on record saying or on record, you know, in the UFO press or whatever, saying I've seen something. You know, I, I saw UFO, whatever. So it's not much of a big, dis, you know, a difference in in uh, actual up- updates, but it is a difference in their in their viewpoint. Then off the off of that good news, we then had the start of To the Stars Academy's History Channel series, Unidentified, mm-hmm. which. I honestly, I can't say very much about. It. I haven't watched it yet because I know it's just going to make me angry and upset. Well, well, Chris, I've seen two episodes, two whole episodes. Woo! <laughs> Did you learn a lot? Was there anything new? Uh, they the you kind of get to know some of the players into the Stars Academy. Like you get to see, you get to see Chris Mellon uh, on screen, which you know maybe a thrill for people. I'm not sure. Um, you get to see Steve Justice, you know, former, uh, Lockheed Skunk Works, uh, engineer. Um, and you got to see Lou Elizondo, you know, just talking to people, talking to, uh, David Fravor and, uh, talking to David Fravor's, uh, uh, co-pilot or whatever. But like, it's, I don't think you're learning all that much. It, it, all too many new things. You're not learning a whole heck of a lot. It's kind of bringing what the original New York Times article, you know, put out there to like the forefront in a new visual medium. In the same way that like uh, Jeremy Corbell did with the Hunt for the Skinwalker documentary, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm, didn't bring mm-hmm. a lot of new stuff to the table, but it presented. Uh, like George Knapp's original reports from back in the nineties and stuff. But yeah, it's, uh, I think John Tenney, uh, on my podcast, uh, there's an episode coming out soon, uh, an interview with him. He kind of just said that it wasn't really that interesting. And I would tend to agree, especially if you've read these New York times articles. Right. So, well, that's, and that's kind of the thing, right? It's a lot of this, to the star, a lot of the to the stars academy um, media push has been centered around their ability to get this program. You know, so up to this point, what we have discovered, what we have learned. So we obviously on this show, we have always suspected that to the stars academy was essentially you know run by Bob Bigelow. Mm-hmm. 
That has always kind of been our take on it. And the reason we say that is because every semi-serious UFO investigation over the last 30 years has been run by Bob Bigelow. You know, it's hard to get away from him when there's only one guy with any kind of real money throwing money around to hunt this stuff. Right. And a guy that has consistently thrown money at the study of this stuff starting in the late 80s, early 90s, looking into the uh, alien abduction stuff and then uh, forming NIDS in the mid 90s and then forming Bass in the early 2000s. Yeah, it's a. It's yes. it's uh, we 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 do like to call him Big Money Bobby Bigelow because that's yeah, big, what he is. Exactly, Big Bob, Big Bob, Big Money Bobby B. Now, yeah. what has happened since that time? All right, so originally, to the stars claimed there no involvement with Bigelow. Right, he he had nothing to do with this. Yada yada, whatever. John, John so the Black Vault, right? Um, he comes out and says. Well, you know, I have asked about ATIP, this program that they started, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, let's, you know, maybe we should start from the beginning here, because I don't know how much listeners have really listened to me complain about this stuff on other shows. So here's the <laughs> timeline. Here's the timeline generally. Supposedly, sometime back around like 2002, 2003, somewhere around that time period, or rather, I mean, yeah, some, somewhere around there, whatever, supposedly the government started seriously looking into the question of UFOs. And this was at the behest of Senator Harry Reid. Mm. And so this is what we know from the New York Times article. Harry Reid starts this program with Bob Bigelow called ATIP or the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. Now, on the books, they don't have a whole lot of money. I think it was something like $2.2 million or something like that. Which, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we have spent, uh, we've probably spent hundreds, you know, I saw something somewhere, it was like $120 million on verifying, you know, uh, security clearances and stuff like that, right? Right. It's, this is not a huge amount of money for an investigation like this. So, all right, they start this program, and then supposedly, this is what was in the New York Times article, and has been pushed by To The Stars Academy, Luis Elizondo became the head of this program, ATIP. Mm-hmm. He then resigns after some time because he feels like the program isn't being taken seriously, or that the threats aren't being taken seriously, or whatever. And then he decides to join up as a consultant with To The Stars Academy which is Tom DeLonge's supposed scientific research effort into aliens, UFOs, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, the To The Stars team is made up of Tom DeLonge, Jim Semivan, and then Harold Pudoff. Mm-hmm. Semivan and Pudoff are known, uh, are very, you know, Semivan and Pudoff are known sort of, workers of Bob Bigelow. Right. They've worked with him for years. Anytime they're involved in anything, it is because Bigelow has thrown his money around, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as those two were were said to be kind of the head science folks, uh, I know our ears perked up a little bit. Right. You know, oh my God, what's going on here? Then uh, 
But again, they, they denied, right? No, Bigelow is not funding this. He has nothing to do with this, whatever. Okay. So now uh, the Black Vault comes out and says, well, we asked the Pentagon about ATIP, and the Pentagon is saying that Elizondo was not the head of ATIP. In fact, he had nothing to do with ATIP, is what they are now claiming. Mm-hmm. And the UFO world that is pro to the Stars Academy is losing its damn mind. My God, I have never seen a group of people try to tear one man to shreds like they have in the last month. It's crazy, yeah. right? So John John uh, Grenewald, who is the, the guy that runs the Black Vault, who has been doing this kind of you know research and analysis of he, he puts out FOIA requests for government info on these kinds of anomalous things. The Bigfoot hair story recently was from his website. Um, a lot of our info we have on this stuff in any serious way is from him. He is get, yeah, he's just getting destroyed. You mm-hmm. know, people claiming he's a government agent or he doesn't know what he's talking about or that the CIA is playing him or yada, yada, yada. Honestly, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this, uh, uh, you know, whole hog here. I have never seen Alejandro Rojas ever get upset a day in his life. And the man went on like a 20 tweet thread storm against John Greenwald. Oh my goodness, man. Yeah. Alejandro is very upset. He is. And so here's, here's the whole, here's kind of the the way, here's where this story sits now because so Greenwald releases this information Right, this this statement from the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Then George Knapp comes out and says, "No, he was the head of ATIP. Look, I have this document to prove it." Yeah, he got a list from Harry Reid himself. Right, and so this document has a list of uh, it's it's an attachment to some formal document, right? Right. It says um, it says that it's uh, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program ATIP. It gives program length, program funding. The category designation, so it's intelligence and DOD acquisition, and then the preliminary bigoted list of government personnel. And so it has on here Honorable uh, William Lind III, the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Senator Harry Reid of Nevada, David uh, or Daniel Inui of Hawaii, Ele- uh, Louis Elizondo, USDI government, and then uh, 10 preliminary bigoted list of contractor personnel funded under ATIP. Includes Dr. Hal Pudoff from BAASS, which is Bigelow Aerospace. Right. So, what what were your thoughts on this document released? Like, I it it just seems like there's not enough information on the document for me to make any kind of judgment on that. It's just, I I don't really know what to make of it because it, it, he's not even giving you the whole document. He's just giving you a snapshot of the damn document. Right. It's just an attachment with some names. Right. You know, I mean, I I could write that too. Right. You know, <laughs> the alien fund, uh, the honorable Rob Christopherson, the honorable <laughs> Marie Mayhew. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. we can all do that kind of thing. I think that for me, the thing that was initially very, very interesting to me was that when Putoff was part of this program, it was through BASS. It was through Bigelow Aerospace. Right. Which we had always assumed, but this was confirmation. Right. So. It's kind of an interesting situation. If To The Stars wants to claim that this document is real, then I think on the one hand, they need to explain all their links to Bigelow. Right. 
On the other hand, if they want to claim that it's false, then their whole basis for existing or or this piece of evidence that proves Elizondo was part of ATIP falls apart. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting kind of question. So Knapp releases this document, and again, kind of the ATIP crowd are like, yeah, we did it, or the TTSA crowd are like, take that. This document proves it. Then a document from Eric Davis, who is a, a doctor, a physicist, who works exclusively with Hal Pudoff. He was um, again, uh, part works, of the uh, NITS team. He sure was. Yeah. Who again, who again, Hal Pudoff works exclusively with Bigelow today. Um, you know, he, all of his, all of his quote unquote research is through Bigelow. Right. Right. He then, a document gets leaked by da- from Davis, supposedly, that are his contemporaneous, or supposedly contemporaneous notes of his, um, I don't even know what to, des- I don't even know how to describe these documents. <laughs> supposedly, supposedly these are his notes that he had with a, uh, an admiral in the Navy. And so what they uh, what they describe is this admiral essentially saying to Davis that he thinks we have a UFO body. You know, he thinks we have probably a UFO technology someplace. Right. That Mm -hmm. uh, we've been working with them, maybe. Right. So it's supposedly with with Admiral Wilson um, from the Navy. So there are these kind of weird notes. Right. That's all kinds of different things. So. You know, there's here. There was one section here that I really wanted to read that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so, so, so I, I have a question for you. Did you see the document uh, last year that had to do with? I think it was by Hal Putoff, and it was about like time travel and dimensional doorways and uh, stuff like that. Yes. And there's an image of. Uh, a man and through this like dimensional doorway he's waving to a dinosaur wait hold on no no I evidently didn't hold on a second Rob okay wait we're gonna talk about that in a second yeah okay okay um okay here we go so in this Davis document there's a couple of choice sections one of them is this so this is supposedly again from Wilson it says quote um they were a reverse engineering program Something was recovered years ago in the past. Technological hardware was recovered. So I thought they meant recovered Soviet slash Chinese, etc. hardware and reverse engineer it like a missile or Intel platform or aircraft. Actually came to meeting expecting to find a sensitive foreign collection and reverse engineering operation. Thought UFOs uses a cover for that. So I said that and they said they weren't that either. They had program manager talking a craft, an intact craft they believed could fly space, air, water, Dimensions? Was it from overseas or not? Said, no, could not be, not possible. Why, I asked, where did it come from? Program manager said they didn't know where it was from. They had some ideas on this. It was technology that was not of this earth, not made by man, not by human hands. Shit! Uh, Miller questions asked, Roswell, craft slash body slash autopsies, Holloman AFB landing, MJ-12 in leaked docks, Zamora and Bentwaters, etc. They were mum, declined to discuss these. Their tone was very terse, tense, testy throughout conversation. <laughs> uh, end quote. So these documents are straight up insanity. 
Is it's, this the 80s all over again? It, what? Honestly, it seems like it, right? And then, and then tucked within this weird document, too, is a letter that a letter to Davis from a retired, again, a retired admiral, Will Miller, who, I mean, he served in Vietnam. He then retired. Now he works as his, as a consultant for defense initiatives, quote unquote. Um, be, just asking to talk about UFOs and stuff that this guy just says, I think there's probably UFOs going on and I was suspicious and I would love to talk to you about this with them. So I don't, uh, uh, one of the things I don't really understand is why do we assume just because someone is in the military, they know secrets or, you know what I mean? Like, why do we have, I know a lot of people in the military that don't know secrets. You know, it it would seem to me that the vast majority of people in the military, even in the high up levels, wouldn't necessarily know these things. If, if the latest election should prove to us anything is that it's not, really all that hard to become a, an important person in an important place. Oh, by, by far. It's yes. a lot It's a lot easier than we thought it was. Right. So I don't really understand why we assume that just because this guy was an admiral or was part of the Navy or anything, that they should have any kind of special information. That's the one thing. Now, Rob, you were mentioning, uh, before, you were mentioning before I went on that little document thing about another document that came out last year that is really a part of a series of documents that do not lend themselves to the credibility of toward, to the stars. It, it was allegedly written by Hal Putoff and I think a, a few other people, but it talked about basically time travel, did, going through dimensional doorways. And the best part about this report is that there is an image that somebody created of a guy who is standing in front of a dimensional doorway and he's waving to a dinosaur. Yes. A dinosaur. This is what your tax dollars are going to fund. Well, so that's the other thing here that I don't. I, there's a couple things here I don't understand. the The first one is, and this is really why I think it is so important. You know, I mean, listen when when we when I drag you into Mufon with me, Rob. Yeah. Which which you're welcome, by the way. Yeah, um, I, I do appreciate that. And like, <laughs> I just want to say, I just want to say. If Henry Zabrowski ever listens to this episode, I got closer to those files than you ever will, pal. So there, take that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I literally Henry looked through 18 out. states. 18 sure states did. worth of data. You sure did. And actually, we still have the data, uh, and I have been crunching the numbers on it, Rob. And there's some interesting things. I, we're going to talk about those towards the end of this episode here. Uh, awesome. Because uh, there, de- there was definitely some fun stuff in there. But most like the clown of it was pants. garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like oh, the the alien footprint, Chris. You remember the alien footprint? Jesus, I, I do. I I do remember the alien footprint. That was good times. It was, was good times. Really good times. Oh my goodness. So, some okay. I think that there are three main questions we have to ask ourselves about this whole situation that no one has really asked so far. Mm-hmm. The first one is. Let's say that they do have a recovered craft. Let's say that to the stars Academy has this technology. Do we think it's a good idea for them to have ownership of it? Like, is it a good idea for a single company to own our ability to leave this planet? Mm. 
or to travel travel the stars and just ethically man the, if if they if they do well they're they're just like light years away you know ahead of uh elon musk here because um yeah well that's uh, what i'm saying yeah it's it's kind of it's you know we we see these dystopian movies and read these novels and things where oh there's an upper class that has the ability to live forever or you know whatever you know this techno this technological division occurs where one part of society is so far ahead of another part and it you know it never it never goes well and so you'd think that the public would be primed to think well this is probably a bad thing and we have for years said or at least the the you know people that are interested in this kind of thing you know science fiction uh whatever conspiracy kind of talk all that sort of stuff the general consensus for years has been that it would be a problem if the government had access to this technology on their own. Mm-hmm. Then why is it okay for it to be a corporation? Right. And I mean, like, how many how many crash saucers has the government recovered, according to Leonard Stringfield? I don't know, something like 20 of them or yes. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it, it doesn't really fit with the narrative, that for one. Uh, so... Like, how does that change? Like, how would the government not be, like, busting down your doors to take it? Right, exactly. Exactly. If if you had that, you know, supposedly because, you know, because uh, Lazar was on a documentary, the FBI came and raided his house. You don't think the government would raid the, you know, uh, <laughs> Earth Tech or whatever these places are if they had a UFO craft? Or even a piece of that technology, you don't think that they would come down and get that technology back in some way? Right. I mean, that would make, if they had that technology, it would make Tom DeLonge the most dangerous person in the universe. Right. For human beings. Right. Um, and, you know, the the big thing with the czar, and I, I just started reading um, Annie Jacobson's Area 51. Uh, he kind of He's known for outing Area 51 as, you know, what it was. When there were some UFO documents in the 80s, yeah, they were mostly questionable, but they did mention Area 51. We kind of knew what Area 51 was, but then he just blew the freaking doors, you know, right off. It's kind of like the David Fravor sighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the New York Times brought it to a mainstream audience, but the story had been out there for two years before that. So, yeah, it, it almost seems like a, a a rehash here. And then, uh, same with the video. Like, I first heard about the David Fravor sighting in October of 2017 when George Knapp tweeted a link to the original blog post that the Fravor story mm-hmm. appeared on. And then a week later, the, I believe it was the Tic Tac video somehow ended up on Jeremy Corbell's website. Well, obviously it had been out there before. So, well, it was, you know, it was floating around on the internet. I think since 2015, right. Um, was the, is the claim, right? I mean, it, if you've seen the video, I know it struck me as something that it, it looked familiar, but you know, I can't I can't say definitively or anything. But it is interesting that it's kind of a rehashing, like you're saying, of these same kind of ideas. And the thing is, too, the reason it seems so familiar is because it's the same team just with a different hat on. It's, it it's, is. It's literally the exact same team from 
the Skinwalker Ranch. With you know, one exception, John B. Alexander has nothing to do with it. That's the only, I would say, the only difference. And I think, I, I don't think Eric Davis is part of it, but, like, you know, he's trying to get into the fray with his own stuff. And, you know, that, that'll that be what it, you know, will be. But, I mean, Colm Kelleher's there. <laughs> yeah, hey, maybe we'll get another book. So, <laughs> the, the other question I think that needs to be asked here is just how? How is it that this group of people so well known and, you know, essentially they have built their careers on investigating UFOs. How in the name of God did they end up on the government payroll? Right. You know, I, I uh, well, I mean, how put off has been on the government payroll for, you know, on and off for how long now? But that see, but that's the thing. That's the part of it that I don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Is to me, this story more than anything is about government corruption. Mm-hmm. The more interesting thing to me is not whether or not you know Tom DeLonge has a piece of alien nanotechnology in a drawer someplace in California. You know, I don't think they do. Right. The more interesting part of the story for me is how did the greasing of Harry Reid, the politician lead to an actual government program investigating UFOs that is now turned into a media company. Right. How is it possible that that is allowed or that that is even a thing? You know, if the government actually thought UFOs were a threat, would they have given the study of them just away to somebody? Right. And if not, then what does that say about this whole investigative process in the first place? Right. And why would you give away the investigation of this phenomenon when they, for 20 plus years, they investigated it in house? That makes no sense to me. But also give it to a team who you know has a tendency to go onto UFO talk shows, to go onto documentary chain, you know, history channel documentaries has a history of talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. If it was top secret, if this was really important stuff, give it to one of the other area 51 scientists who hasn't talked for 30 fucking years. Right. You know, don't give it to somebody who's got a book out about aliens. It doesn't make any damn sense. None of it makes any damn sense, Rob. So what you're saying is you're not going to buy Bob Lazar's autobiography when it comes out in September. No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going to. I might I might peruse the section on his education because I think that'll be very fun. But I don't think uh I don't think I'll be reading it full, you know, full all the way through. <sighs> I don't I don't I don't blame you. Um Yeah, uh there is um uh let me let me gather myself here. There was a, there was kind of a a thought I had. I just lost it, but I'll get it back here in a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I, so- I, I love it. We're gonna we're gonna let you get your here's now, another part of yeah go you ahead. go you go on no you go on and okay. uh, I'll, I'll get myself together here. Good stuff. Here's yeah. another here's another part of this I don't I don't fully understand either or that I think is quite interesting is so Lazar claimed or still claims I guess you know his claims haven't really changed that much. No, Lazar claims that the government has a craft has back engineered the ability to create propulsion out of this, the way the craft does. And so we essentially have UFOs as part of our air force. 
That is Lazar's overall overarching claims. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we are claiming that the government started this program only at the kind of nudging of Bob Bigelow and Harry Reid. Right. To investigate what these other crafts are. Mm -hmm. And so as far as we can tell from the paper trail, again, who knows about Elizondo, whatever. But supposedly then, that group led directly into To the Stars Academy. Right. Well, the Lazar story and the To the Stars story is being pushed by essentially the same group of people. You know, it comes down to essentially, you know, George Knapp, uh, these kinds of other reporters who are doing these kinds of these kinds of stories generally. And ultimately it comes down to Bob Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they believe both stories are true? Oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think they, I don't think they give Bob Lazar like the credit that he deserves. I don't think anybody does except for maybe Nap and, and Corbell at this point. And like, you know, the small handful of people that, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, you know, do, but you, you can't live in a world where both of these things are true. It's just not possible. It's kind of like, uh, the, the point that I wanted to make and I, I, I've come back to it now. I've remembered. (laughs) Um, so the, uh, to the stars Academy is basically, you know, they're getting these videos, this information, uh, from the government, right? It's it's from the government. These are government declassified videos. But when the government says that Lou Elizondo did not run a tip, or uh, you know they they claim that these videos were not meant for public release, they were released to be looked at within their department. Well, now the government isn't believable. Like you can't have it both ways here. Either the government's telling the truth or they're not telling the truth. But I don't don't like these contradictions because it's like you can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. It just doesn't work that way. No, yeah, it's it's it has or it seems like it would have to be one or the other. Either the government is disclosing UFO technology. And so what they're saying is true Mm -hmm. or they're not. And it 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 must be just, you know, it must be discounted, but it must be taken with a grain of salt. Right. To claim that it is just some, you know, just the government agents that I agree with who are telling the truth is not a good way to do investigations. No. In any way. No. The, uh, you know, another part of it that I think is really interesting, too, is that the, the media push around this, you know, To the Stars Academy has been really good so far about modulating their media exposure so that it is all very positive or it all comes across very positively except for that one time that they included a fake 
a UFO in a presentation and then they had to apologize for it. See, but even that though, right? Even yeah. those even those snafus, I mean, there's been a couple of those cases so far where what then happens interestingly, and so this is what's happened with the Eric Davis documents too, is and it's kind of the creation of a it's 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 the creation of a um of a, of a fringe belief is the creation of a false belief in, a, in an interesting way is these documents get released. All of the official, all any word from to the stars Academy has been no comment, but all of the background word has been that they are, that these documents were not supposed to be released. Right. You know, they come out and, you know, they say nothing about it. Half of the community says, or half these people say, this is completely ridiculous. Look how insane this document is. Right. And this is coming on the heels of another document about the alien autopsy video supposedly being discussed by, you know, some of the researchers into the Stars Academy and being taken seriously. Mm, so <laughs> these, you know, it's another one of these documents where instead of it, instead of this, the falseness of this document or the clear ridiculousness of this document, go, you know, taking away from the credibility of this group. All that it has done is it's made people believe the documents in a weird way. Right. You know, like their, their existence is lend and, and I'm using huge air quotes here, lends credence to the documents. Exactly. Exactly. The fact that this, you know, the fact that this would be put out in any way with this group of people that I trust means that the documents must be true. And it, it really does show, I think, the way that this this has stopped being an evidence-based discussion and instead has become a, a feelings-based discussion, which I think was always always what To The Stars' plan was. I think they were always banking on the fact that, you know, even if they – even no matter how badly they messed up, there would be a portion of the world that would just watch the show, you know, buy the books, buy the T-shirts – eat up all the stuff they put out there because at the end of the day in the world of, you know, UFO entertainment, it doesn't matter what's true or false. What mm. matters is, you know, how many units am I selling? Uh, so it's interesting, man. I don't know. I just don't know what to do about it. So you're saying you're not going to go to the two to the stars Academy website and buy your own gimbal video t-shirt. I might buy a disclosure mug. Yes. But I am not I am not going to buy a t-shirt, I don't think. Well, All right. Anyways, well, well, well I, I just just like I I kind of want to make a point be, because um like people throw around uh the D here, you know, the disclosure, the D, they just throw it around. And the thing about it is like disclosure in in the sense that people refer to it in the UFO community requires the government to give up something. Mm. And basically what you're finding through uh, John Greenwald's work is that the government isn't giving up anything. So I think we need to stop using this word disclosure. I think we need to stop using the word soft disclosure. Like, no, this, this isn't what this is. Like, I think we need to stop thinking that like somebody has all the answers and they're just going to give it up to the people. Absolutely. It's not going to work that way. One, because I don't think the government knows shit. I don't think the government has ever really known shit other than what they've, the, the, the conclusions they've been able to surmise from 
like, you know, radar data or what little, you know, what investigative work they did with Project Blue Book and, you know, all the investigative shit that they did. So, like, how can you claim disclosure when your government probably doesn't really know that much? Well, I think as well that the... It is, again, be... It's what we have said from the very beginning, you know, it's, there are no heroes. There are, you know, there is no singular voice for truth that is going to come out and say, you know, I mean, you know, we're that, you know, I, I, have you seen Chernobyl yet on HBO? I have not. Okay. It's, it's phenomenal. It is great. But one of the things they did to make it more easily digestible for a public kind of audience is they took a team of like, you know, 15 to 20 scientists and converted them into one figure, Mm -hmm. you know? So they took, they took real historical information and stuff, but they kind of, you know, they, they massaged it to make it more cinematic. Right. And so you end up with this, you know, this kind of these two courageous scientists fighting for the truth, but that's not the way it happened. It was no. 20 scientists and it was a an entire community of researchers who saw the evidence of Chernobyl and and saw by their their spikes in ionizing radiation and isotopes that they were measuring, you know, just how badly this disaster just how bad this disaster was. It was not like it was just a singular voice in the night saying, "Ah, this is the truth." But that is what we want. That's what we want to happen. That's how we want to think things work. And so when a beloved public figure comes out and says, hey, I'm going to start researching UFOs, the entire world that's interested in this stuff wants to say, aha, our hero has arrived. Not this only, how- not only has he, is he going to do this? He's read books for 25 years and he's been able to suss out the truth. Exactly. It's, you know, this singular voice is going to save us all. And And then what inevitably happens, like with a single person, is it's really easy to discredit them, even Mm -hmm. if those, you know, even if being discredited in that way is not truthful or not correct. You know, it's super easy to say, hey, I don't think Elizondo was really the head of A-tip or, you know, hey, this guy's got a shaky background or whatever. And so putting your faith into a single institution like that is a terrible idea. It's always terrible. It's why Batman can't be Bruce Wayne. He has to be Batman. An idea. It uh, drives me crazy, Rob. I think it drives us all crazy, Um, especially if you try to come at this subject with a level head. And, um, yeah, I'm just... That's why my podcast changed. That's why I tell stories, Chris. That's what I do now. I tell stories. <laughs> I know, but I'm still looking for the truth, damn it. Listen, uh, according to a, a 90s Fox television show, the truth is out there, Chris. The truth it is, is out, out there. there. It is out there, Rob. Yep. Okay. Now let's get into some good stuff. Let's get into some real stuff here, Rob. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we first started looking at these cases together. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we were thinking of doing or trying to do was to put this data into an analysis where we could see statistically whether or not certain ideas that are floating out there in the UFO world are true or not. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And so one of them, or there were a couple of them, right? The first one was, is there, is there anything about population that has something to do with how many UFO sightings there are? Mm-hmm. The second one was, is there anything to do with the number of active military service members, right? Military bases, that kind of thing. Right. Another was the proximity to a body of water. Right. Um, and uh, the uh, another one that I thought was quite interesting was population density. Mm-hmm. Right. Does it matter if you're in a small town or if you're in a big town? Okay. Now, we have published on the Twitter page some of the results of that investigation. What do you think we found, Rob? Did you did you disprove all of these things? Did you shoot all of these things down, Chris? Because you are a giant buzzkill, but that's what you do, and I, I respect it. Okay, now here's the interesting thing. Yeah. We weren't able to shoot all of them down. Uh, not all, but some. But some, yes. Okay. Okay, now, and this is just simple analysis, okay? So all that we did was we took the on the y-axis of our graph... We have the percent of the total UFO sightings that year. And again, this is nothing about how good a sighting is. You know, so this this study doesn't take into account whether or not the claim was, you know, I mean, I don't know, whatever. Someone who was, you know, uh, very, very credible saying I saw UFO and it did this and I, you know, it has nothing to do with how good the sighting is or not. All it takes into account is the reports. So if someone reported something, are some of the mythologies that are out there in the UFO world, can they be proven true by the data itself? Mm-hmm. Okay. The first one was population. Now, if you, were a, if you were a craft and you were trying to, in secret, abduct someone or something, or in secret move around or whatever, would you think, Rob, that you would be going to areas that are larger or smaller? Smaller would you be think my you'd, guess. You think you'd go to smaller little cities and things, right? Yeah. The complete opposite is true. So they're they're hitting the they're hitting the big time. So in other words, your percentage of total UFO sightings is directly correlated to the percent of the total US population in your state. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you live in California, where there's a big percentage of the United States population, you mm-hmm. are more likely on average to get a report of a UFO sighting from California than you would be in say, you know, Ohio or Indiana or something. So that suggests that there's nothing that suggests that, that there's that suggests that it is like any other kind of reporting event of something, Mm -hmm. right? We would expect the same thing probably of, um, of any kind of sighting, you know, sightings of raccoons or sightings of cats or something. You know, because there's just more people. So you'd expect it to be a larger proportion of the sightings. Right. So then would would it also give into the idea that the the belief that UFOs are mostly seen in these rural areas has to do with the fact that a lot of the large cases cases that have been pushed from like the 1940s up until, you know, present day don't they usually are in smaller areas or in areas that you know are not very well known yes that is definitely a takeaway from this okay that we would expect the um in other words 
in other words, that the the UFO media, right, mm-hmm. um, is brutally pushing these in a certain way. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now, what do we do or what happens if we then take into account only those things that were listed as good cases? What do you think happens, Rob? Uh, I uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm what what I I didn't study for this. Okay. The correlation goes away. Okay. So in other words, if we only look at those cases that are being judged as being good mm-hmm. versus just all the cases reported, yeah. You no it no longer varies uh you know, very closely with the percent of the total US population. Okay. So we're talking about, for those listeners who are uh, mathematically inclined, we're talking about the difference between an R-squared value of uh, 0.9 to an R-squared value of 0.4 for our correlation. So it's not, it's not great. Now, that suggests something else. That suggests, like, either what you're saying, that the UFO world, quote-unquote, tends to believe small city cases more than they take to be a big population cases, right? Right. Or it suggests that... Maybe there's something interesting there in the data that we need to look into further. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's kind of the, a, a general takeaway now. And that is true across all years that we have data for. So it's not like, you know, there's one year where there are a lot of good sightings and one year where there's a lot of bad sightings. It's just, you know, it, it seems to be that way generally. The other interesting one though, and, and, and you know, we're running out of time here. So this is one that I really wanted to talk about. The, Percent of land in the state that's owned by the federal government also has no effect on the, you know, has no clear correlation on the uh, percentage of UFO sightings. Mm-hmm. So the idea that they appear near military bases appears at the moment to be unfounded, or at least, you know, this isn't differentiating between a military base and like a national park or something. Mm-hmm. However, um, it doesn't seem like federal ownership of the land has anything to do with it. The other one, too, that I found to be really interesting. Now, water. We've heard for years that UFOs love water, right? right? USOs and all this other stuff. Nothing. That has nothing to do with the amount of sightings that you're reported at all. It's very, very interesting, Rob. It is. It's uh, you're you're busting myths. You're you're a myth buster right now. It's some it's some weird stuff, my dude. Yeah, it is. It's good times. So, Rob, any uh anything cool going on in the UFO world that you're excited for? Um, uh, you know. There isn't a lot going on right now, man. There really isn't. You know, I'm 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 looking forward to this Bob Lazar autobiography because I really want I want the juicy details. I really do. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if Tom DeLonge is putting it putting it out himself because he did claim on Joe Rogan that he was putting out his autobiography, but it's coming out. We we've got we've got that to look forward to. Uh, I think there have been some you know pretty good. UFO book releases this year. Um, I think uh, Diana Pasulka's American Cosmic is uh, is a pretty good book. Uh, you know, looks through, looks at um, UFOs technology, looks at it through like a, a religious lens mm-hmm. a little bit. It's an interesting, it's an interesting book. Uh, MJ Benias's book, The UFO People. That's uh, it, it's a book that was definitely needed. And, uh, you know, looks at the UFO subculture and all that fun stuff. So uh, if that that definitely seems like it'd be up your alley, Chris. Oh, no, absolutely. It's on my reading list. Yeah, it's yeah. that I have so many books on my reading list, though, man. I, I hear you. I, I hear bought you. 
I bought a buttload when we were doing the demonology series here. Mm-hmm. I bought a buttload of books on like um like a historical accounts of witchcraft, you know, like primary sources, so like the trial documents and things and transcriptions and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I've been slowly getting my way through that book. It's pretty dense and it's like really really good. Um but a lot of it is, you know, he said, I'm a witch. And then this lady's like, I'm not a witch. You're a witch. And then you know, they just fight back and forth, right? Yep. Um, so, yeah, I've been, I've been trying to make my way through it. But, yeah, I got, I got a whole bunch of stuff on my list here or on my bookshelf, rather. I need to get reading, my dude. And, Rob, yeah. your, your podcast is back. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we decided to come back. You know, shit happened. I got pissed off. That's, that's the, basic, the basic premise here. And I needed to put my uh anger towards something so i was like damn it we're coming back so you know we're uh we're coming at it from a uh, bi-weekly basis so every other week putting out an episode we're putting content out on patreon uh we just did an episode about the 1954 uh french ufo flap which is uh it's really fun and it led to the passage of a really strange law in this one town that seems to be there to kind of drum up, you know, tourism, uh, in a way. And, uh, there are, uh, you know, some familiar voices. Uh, if you listen to the Astonishing Legends podcast, you might hear some familiar voices on that episode. So, uh, yeah, uh, we're back. We're doing it. Exciting, man. I can't wait. I can't wait to listen. It's, it's, it's fun. And, uh, yeah. So we've got some, uh, great stuff coming down the pike, you know, some alien abductions, and uh, some uh, government conspiracy stuff. And uh, yeah, lots of good stuff, man. Nice. All right. So thank you again to your listeners for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I'll be back uh, next week with another uh, episode here. I think we're finally going to get to Silent Spring. We're going to see. We're going to see how it goes. It's uh, it's turning into quite a series here, but it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Rob, as always, thanks for coming on, my dude. You can find his podcast at Our Strange Skies. It is super good, really well-researched, very, very entertaining stuff. Please go listen. Go give it a rating. Everything else, all good stuff. All right. And dear listeners, as always, thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show... Please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. 
As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.